so 182, if you've not got it. Um, now, Israel, hear the decrees and laws I am about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. You saw with your own eyes what the Lord did at Baal Peor. The Lord your God destroyed from among you everyone who followed the Baal of Peor. For all of you who held fast to the Lord your God are still alive today. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I'm setting before you today? Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire from the very heavens, with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow, and then wrote them on two stone tablets. And the Lord directed me at that time to teach you the decrees and laws you are going to follow in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. You saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire. Therefore watch yourselves very carefully so that you do not become corrupt and make for yourselves an idol, an image of any shape, whether formed like a man or a woman, or like any animal on earth or any bird that flies in the air, or like any creature that moves along the ground or any fish in the waters below. And when you look up to the sky and see the sun, the moon and the stars, all the heavenly array, do not be enticed into bowing down to them and worshipping things the Lord your God has apportioned to all the nations under heaven. But as for you, the Lord took you and brought you out of the iron-smelting furnace, out of Egypt, to be the people of his inheritance, as you now are. The Lord was angry with me because of you, and he solemnly swore that I would not cross the Jordan and enter the good land the Lord your God is giving you as your inheritance. I will die in this land. I will not cross the Jordan, but you are about to cross over and take possession of that good land. Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Do not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. After you have had children and grandchildren and have lived in the land a long time, if you then become corrupt and make any kind of idol, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God and arousing his anger, 
I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you this day that you will quickly perish from the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. You will not live there long, but will certainly be destroyed. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. There, you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or eat or smell. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and all your soul. When you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in later days you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your ancestors, which he confirmed to them by oath. Ask now about the former days, long before your time, from the day God created human beings on the earth. Ask from one end of the heavens to the other. Has anything so great as this ever happened? Or has anything like it ever been heard of? Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of the fire as you have and lived? Has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation by testings, by signs and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, or by great and awesome deeds, like all the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes? You were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Beside him, there is no other. From heaven he made you hear his voice to discipline you. On earth he showed you his great fire, and you heard his words from the out of the fire. Because he loved your ancestors and chose their descendants after them, he brought you out of Egypt by his presence and his great strength to drive out before you nations greater and stronger than you and to bring you into their land to give it to you for your inheritance as it is today. Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth below. There is no other. Keep his decrees and commands which I am giving to you today so that it may go well with you and your children after you and that you may live long in the land the Lord your God gives to you for all time. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you very much for reading. And um, thanks um, for coming back, if you have come back. Um, it's nice to be back. I was here last week, if you didn't know. And uh, we're carrying on in Deuteronomy, um, as Jeremy has said. Uh, the outbox of this sermon is, is pretty clear, really. Verse 1. Hear, O Israel, the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them so you may live and go in and possess the land. And at the end, verse 40, he repeats himself, keep his decrees and commands which I'm giving you today so that it may go well with you. So start, end, and through the middle, he calls for obedience to God's commands. He doesn't actually give them any commands, uh, apart from one, we'll come to that, but he starts giving them the commands in chapter 5 onwards. And his sermon carries on repeating all these laws of God. But before he gets there, before he starts that, he says, what I'm about to tell you, those laws, hear it, follow it, keep it, obey it. So that's the outbox, okay? The question I want us to focus on um, is Why? Why should we obey God? Before, before I was a Christian, I thought you obeyed God um, because then he'd accept you and let you into heaven. Um, and a lot of people 
um, in the UK probably have some variation of that sort of thinking. Obey God and he'll answer your prayers, help you, bless you, ultimately accept you. And if we're Christians, I hope we, we know that isn't right. We're only accepted by God and we're completely accepted by God because of Jesus. But if that's the case, why obey? Now, we might have a sense of, well, well, as Christians, we're meant to obey God. Sort of an instinct. Or we think we should obey because it's the right way to live. Or that, isn't that how we show our gratitude to Jesus for saving us? And yes, there's, there's truth in those. But Moses here, he gives a different reason, which I have to say I find um, profoundly wonderful and liberating. And we'll, we'll, we'll try and get to it. Before we dive into that, I want, us to say so I want to say something about the one command we do get here, which is don't commit idolatry. You probably picked up, there's a lot about idolatry. The problem with idolatry is it, it either denies or distorts the true God, Israel's God, or uh, as he's called, Yahweh, or the Lord. So straightforward idolatry simply denies God is God, or Yahweh is God. So verse 19, when you look up to the sky and see the sun, moon, and stars, all the heavenly array, do not be enticed into bowing down to them and worshipping the things that the Lord your God has apportioned to all the, all the nations under heaven. They were in danger of worshipping the sun. They think it's so powerful and we're dependent on it for life. Maybe it's, it's divine. We should worship it. And if you did that, you'd be denying that Yahweh was the, was the true God. And you'd be mad to do that, Moses says, because actually God apportioned the sun and the moon. He made them. So he's in charge of them. Or idolatry can distort God. Um, verse 15, Moses says, Watch yourselves carefully so you do not, make, you do not become corrupt and make for yourself an idol an image of any shape, whether formed like a man, woman, like any animal, bird, creature, fish. And it might be here that the idea is that they're, they're going to make an image to represent Yahweh. So, so that they're into, they want Yahweh, their God, Israel's God, the true God, but they're going to worship him through an idol. And that means you're going to distort God. I think it helps to see that in the Bible's thinking, there are, there are only two categories you can be in. You're either created or you're the creator. And everything is in the created category. Everything apart from God, the creator. And so if you say, I'm going to take something from creation, anything from creation, and use it to represent the creator, you're going to, um, you're going to do him down. Because he's bigger than that. He's better than that. He made that. I mean, the creation in some way reflects him, in some way points to how great he is. But if you ever say, that thing, that's God... No, 
No, you've distorted God now. Idolatry either denies or distorts God. I think it's striking that in this chapter where Moses is basically saying, obey. All of God's commands, all of God's laws, all of God's decrees, obey. The one thing he does talk about is idolatry. I, what, I think it might be because idolatry is the heart of disobeying God. All the other laws um, tell the truth, um, don't murder, be faithful, um, they, all, they all flow from who God is. And so disobeying them, breaking them, in some way is, is distorting God or, or denying God. If I tell a lie, I'm sort of implicitly saying God's not a truth-telling God, or God doesn't mind about the truth, or something like that. You see, I'm sort of distorting God. So even in my, my, my sin of breaking that law, behind it is a form of idolatry. So I suggest idolatry is the heart of wrongdoing. And so Moses appeals to God's people, don't make idols, don't distort or deny God, rather obey. Listen, hear, accept, keep, follow his commands. Now, having said, said all that, let's get back to our question. Why? Why obey? Why, why not idolatry? Well, Moses says, first of all, because of God's amazing revelation. When Israel are rescued from, from Egypt, um, God leads them to the desert. They come to Mount Sinai, and he appears to them there and gives them his law. And that moment in, in the Bible is, is kind of massively foundational for Israel. Um, and Moses talks about it quite a bit here. Let me, let me start at the, at the end of the, towards the end of chapter 4, verse 32. Ask now about the former days, long before your time, from the day God created man on the earth. Ask from one end of the heavens to the other. Has anything so great as this ever happened? Or anything like it ever been heard of? Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of the fire as you have and lived? So Moses is saying, um, in the whole of time, from creation to now, and in the whole of space, from one end of the heavens to the other, in the whole of time and space, has anything as great as this ever happened? That God, the true God, the only God, the creator God, would draw near to his people, not to destroy them, not to burn them up, but to, to speak to them, to reveal himself to them. It's amazing. And the very manner of that revelation shows you shouldn't commit idolatry. So verse 11 and 12. He talks about the same experience. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, Sinai, while it blazed with fire, 
to the, to the very heavens with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. When God spoke to them, it was very impressive, it was frightening, there was fire, there was darkness, but, but Moses' point is, there wasn't any form of God. There was no image of God. There was no representation of God. All you got were words. And he applies it in verse 15. You saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire. Therefore, don't make an idol. When God revealed himself to you, he didn't do it with images or forms or representations. He did it with words. And so as you, as you relate back to God, relate to him through his words. Don't use images that distort him. Let him speak to you. Uh, let him tell you who he is and what he's like. Don't make an idol because of how God has revealed himself to you. Secondly, don't make an idol because of God's amazing rescue. We can start with verse 32 again, um, when he says, again, think of all, through all of time, creation till now, think through all of space, in all of time and space, has anything as great as this ever happened? God spoke to you, and verse 34, has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation? by testings, by miraculous signs and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, or by great and awesome deeds, like all the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. When God rescued them from Egypt, it was, it was like a kind of, um, like sort of power, power showdown between e Egypt's gods and Israel's God, Yahweh. Who was the more powerful? Who was going to win? In fact, who was the, who was the real God? Who was the true God? And Moses says God acted with miraculous signs and wonders, great and awesome deeds. He sent the plagues. He parted the Red Sea. He wipes out the Egyptian army. In terms of the sort of power off, God, God wipes the floor with the Egyptians. There isn't really a competition. And so Moses concludes in verse 35, you were shown these things so you might know that the Lord is God, besides him there is no other. They're meant to look at how God rescued them and say, wow, God's God, isn't he? Yahweh's God. There's no God like him. There is no God apart from him. So that means no idolatry. Um, don't treat anything else as God when you've seen the real God. Realize who you're dealing with here, the, the one true God, who's revealed himself with words. So no, no idolatry, no other gods, and no other version of God, no distortion of God. God's revelation, God's rescue. Thirdly, God's exclusive relationship. In fact, the revelation and the rescue all point to this. 
This is where we're going. Verse 32, again, in all of time and space, is there anything ever heard of, have you ever heard of anything like this, that God would speak, that God would rescue? And verse 34, all this was to do what? Has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another? God spoke, God rescued, in order to take Israel for himself. He rescued them to make, to make them his people, so he can know them and love them and look after them. We get the same, the same thought in verse 20. But as for you, the Lord took you and brought you out of the iron smelting furnace, out of Egypt, to be the people of his inheritance, as you now are. An inheritance is something that, that, that belongs to you, doesn't it? Um, and one day you will have in your possession and you will treasure it. Well, God's purpose in his rescue is to make Israel his, his inheritance. He wants them to belong to him. He wants them to be, be with him. He wants to treasure them. That was always the, that's the end goal. That's the aim of revealing and rescuing. It's to make them his. And we see the nature of the relationship in verse 23. Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Do not make for yourself an idol in any form, in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Now we usually think of jealousy as a, as a bad thing. Um... And with us, it often is unpleasant, greedy, selfish, self-orientated. But think of husband and wife. Married, belong to each other. If one of them started loving somebody else in the way they should love their spouse, The spouse, if the spouse saw that, they'd think, no, 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 that, that love, that's mine. That belongs to me. You belong to me. They would be jealous, rightly jealous, good, good jealous. Because that's my, that's my love. It's an exclusive relationship. And God is like that. In his love, he has brought Israel into a relationship with him where they belong to him. And now he wants them. He wants their love. He wants their worship. He wants their obedience. And make an idol. Start to love something else like you should love God. And God says, no, that, that's mine. You belong to me. I want you. And I want all of you. It's an exclusive relationship. So obey God. Don't make an idol. Let's, um, let's sort of move on a bit in the Bible. Where does this go in, in the Bible? Verse 25 of this chapter, um, Moses starts to talk about the future and what will happen if they do make idols and disobey God. 
And he says, or future generations do that. And he says, if that happens, God will scatter them, they'll lose the land and be defeated by other by their enemies. And then in verse, but it's an if. if. If you do this, this is what will happen. And then in verse 30, he changes the tense and says, when you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in later days you will return to the Lord, your God, and obey him. It's just, it's just a line, but in the middle of this, this um, appeal to obey, he's saying, actually, one day, this is all going to go wrong. You're going to disobey God, but God is going to bring it back on track. There's going to be a return to the Lord. And Deuteronomy is going to say a lot more about that as you get to the end um, of, of the book and the end of, of the sermon series. But if we're Christians today, we're part of that return to the Lord, that back on track that God has done. And it has all happened through Jesus. So we get to the New Testament, and we read in, in Hebrews, uh, writing to Christians, the writer says, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm. In other words, you, you haven't come to Mount Sinai like they did. It goes on, you have come to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. What he's saying is, you've come to the fulfillment of what Sinai and the land and all of that pointed to. Through Jesus, we have the Old Testament, the, 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 the law, Sinai, and the, the land, and, um, and, and going in to live in this perfect place. It was all a picture. It was a picture of what God would do in Jesus for real. And the reality is that, that through Jesus, you're now on the edge of the land. You're on the edge of the, 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 um, the, the heavenly Jerusalem, the new creation. And that means, as we sort of stand on the, on the edge of, of Mount Zion, we can hear Moses' words um, calling us to obey in a, much, in a much deeper way. Think of, Rev of Revelation. God, God revealed himself at uh, Mount Sinai. Early, earlier in Hebrews, the writer says, yes, God revealed himself in the Old Testament. Yes. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. Sinai was an amazing revelation. Who has ever, in the whole of time and space, who has ever heard of a God drawing near like that? Only God's outdone himself. He's gone better than Sinai because he's drawn near in his son, the very creator of the world. He's come in person. 
at um, the book group I mean, I remember we, we read a book about um, Islam one time and um, we were chatting about it, talking about Muhammad and the claim that he was writing what Allah had told him and, and, and that kind of thing. And the comparison with Jesus came up in the, in the conversation. And I found myself saying, yeah, the thing is with Jesus, it's not that the claim is God was dictating stuff to Jesus and he's writing it down. The claim is not he was inspired by God to write the truth. He is God. The claim is God himself came in person. Who's ever heard of such a thing in the whole of time and space? No other religion even claims such a thing. That God will become one of us. And as well as, well as revelation in Jesus, there is an amazing rescue. Hebrews 12 goes on. You haven't come to Sinai, he says, but you've come to Zion, the, the, the city of the living God, and you've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And Hebrews has described how Jesus has brought about this new covenant, this new relationship with God, where we can know God directly and personally and, and confidently. And it's happened through his blood, his sprinkled blood, his, his death for us. The Exodus was a great rescue in the whole of time and space. You ever heard of such a thing? God acting like that? Only God's outdone himself again with Jesus' rescue, a rescue which is so, um, so sort of counterintuitive, it makes you gasp, that God, the offended party, would take the place of the offender. That Jesus defeats his enemies by being defeated. That the king conquers by being conquered. It's mad. And yet so wonderful. God dying for you in all of time and space. Have you ever heard of a rescue like it? And this revelation and rescue, again, it's all for relationship. It's all to bring us into relationship with God. Israel were meant to be God's people. And they, they, they were his chosen people, his special nation, his treasured possession. And Peter, writing of Christians in the New Testament, takes those terms and says, you Christians, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Or Paul writes, you're not your own, you were bought at a price. God came in Jesus, he died for you to buy you, to make you his own. And so now you don't belong to yourself, you're not your own, you're his. And so now he's jealous for you. He wants you for himself, because it's an exclusive relationship. We're not our own and he wants us, he wants all of us, our love, our worship and our obedience.
So why, why obey God? Why no idols? Well, there are, there are lots of reasons you could give. The reason Moses is giving is For some reason, my phone just keeps start, starts to play music. I don't know if you could hear that. I was saying, like, oh, and it's not doing it again, is it? Sorry about that. Why obey God? There are lots of reasons. Moses' reason is because that's who you are. That's who God has made you. And, and that, that's who God is. He's the one true God. There is no other. Put those two things together. You belong to the one true God. There is no other. In an exclusive relationship. So obey him. Live for him. No idols. Now because he focuses on idols as, as, a, as a thing here, let me finish by by just asking, how are we tempted to idolatry today? And how do we hit, where, how, where does this cut for us, this claim that we belong to God? There are lots of possibilities of idolatry today, you know, career, sport, consumerism, pleasures, popularity. And the thing is with those things is that they're not wrong in and of themselves. They're, they're good things that God's given us to, to enjoy. The problem is, to, to use the phrase, is when we make good things, God things. When we think buying stuff will make us happier, and a promotion will make us more meaningful, and a relationship will satisfy me, and popularity will make me feel more secure, and pleasures will delight me. And they kind of will, if you use them in a good way. If you receive those things as gifts from God, they, they have their part in life. But if we put them in God's place and ask them to do what only God can do, then we're making an idol. And we're giving our love and our trust and our hope and our joy that should belong to God, we're giving it to somebody else. And when we do that, God looks at us and he looks at our idol and he looks at our love and our trust and our joy and our hope and he says, that, that belongs to me. That's mine. I've come in person to speak to you. And I've come in person to rescue you, to die for you. And I did it all to make you mine. That's who you are. Why obey God? Because of who God's made you. This week, if, if you see your tendency to idolatry rising in you, as, as I know I will, let's look at our idols and say to them, I belong to the one true God. And he wants all of me. Why don't we pray? We'll do that. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we praise you as the one true creator God. And we praise you that you have spoken to us so wonderfully coming in person. We praise you that you've rescued us so wonderfully, dying for us in person. And we pray that we would feel feel and sense what that has done for us, that you have made us yours. We belong to you. We are yours. And we're sorry for how easily we give our love and our trust and our hope to others. Please, by your spirit, reveal those, the ways we do that to us and help us turn to you and know you as our God and live for you alone. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.